When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to Deadline Dilemmas brought to you by Fantasy Football Scout. And we're here during the international game week, as always, on a Thursday night at 9pm. How's it How's it going, Praz? How's your week been? It's been all right. Nice, nice, lovely break. Uh, you tell me, you look under the weather, you look very hot. How, yes. how are you coping? Uh, yeah, I am ill, but I didn't want to phone in sick, especially when there's a, a double game week that's just been announced. And I showed you this earlier, but I've got a little thermometer in my room, and I mean, it's yeah, it's, well, it's just hit twenty nine degrees. So Incredible. I'm ill. I've got a fever, so I feel like it's about fifty degrees. But I'm excited about FPL. So <laughs> here we are. Well, of course, you're excited. We have a double game week announcement. Well, exactly. I I wasn't expecting that at all. I heard there was a possibility. Then someone told me they couldn't even. Because of the fans, they couldn't move a game so late. But I think that was only for TV games. Yeah. yeah. So here we are, game week seven. And, and it's unusual week. for them to take a European midweek to do their postponement. Uh, usually, you, you remember last year, they only did it because they absolutely had to. So it's actually thrown a lot of us off because I don't think we expected it. Doesn't make a huge difference, but let, we'll talk about it anyway. I mean, it definitely causes some dilemmas and it freshens up the transfer ideas probably freshens up wildcard ideas as well yeah um, so i guess first of all we go we go straight to the fixtures because the fantasy football scout members area has updated the fixture ticker just just now and you can also if you're, if you're watching on youtube in the in the link below you can sign up and there's still 30 30 percent off the members area um but there it is prouds we've got a double game week game week seven burnley have got newcastle away and luton away luton have got everton away and, and burnley at home what are your thoughts? I mean, my initial thoughts are the Luton double looks much more enticing. And I think a certain player for Luton is much more enticing because we know he's nailed and on penalties. And I've got this Yael Pedro problem. I don't know if it is a problem. It's, I, I go up and down on his worth. But there's definitely an asset I want to target from Luton. I'm not too sure about Burnley. Like maybe a goalkeeper. But even then, it's Newcastle away. It's just precious transfers is my mm. problem. So there's two things. I mean, one, are you going to use up transfers? So instead of, you know, right now, if you have a luxury transfer, do Bruno to Sun or do, you know, like target the Sheffield United fixture where Sun could get 15 points. If you target a Morris, it's fine. He has some upside. It's a double game. Week. He could get one assist. You know, the, the, the floor is lower. But... Is it worth it? So I think it, there's a category of people like yourself who've got Shao Pedro who don't necessarily have the money to upgrade him to a Jackson or a Watkins or anybody else, even Alvarez. For them, makes sense. You've sort of, you now have an easy path to move to a Morris and potentially play him. 
there's other teams like myself who've got Jackson and he is part of a front seven, which is Saka, Mbumo, Sterling, double Man United midfield, Haaland and Jackson. Mm-hmm. All of them have a lovely fixture in game week seven. Saka plays Bournemouth, Mbumo plays Fulham, um, right? Um, Mbumo's got, sorry, Nottingham, got Forest. Nottingham Forest. Man United play Crystal Palace at home. Um, obviously, City is City. And Chelsea plays Fulham. So, I can't see a transfer where I take out any one of them for, for Morris. And so, I'm happy with that. And I don't need to sort of worry about this double game week. Now, what could change is if Jackson does absolutely nothing and Chelsea don't score a goal in the next two game weeks and I get frustrated the hell out of the player, I have a little bit of an exit that I can think about. Will that be Morris? Maybe now the answer is more. Otherwise, it could have been Aouni. It could have been um, Alvarez. So it gives a little bit of an option, but certainly not in my plans. Plus, I mean, I don't envy the Jackson decision because I have thought I deliberately didn't go for Jackson, but I feel like I've got quite lucky that he's not got more points. I mean, look at his underlying numbers. And that's right in that spell where you wanted, you know, why we wanted Sterling, why we wanted Jackson, because they got Fulham away, and then Burnley away in game week eight, a single game week. Yeah, it, it feels very risky. It feels sideways, dare I say. I mean, that might sound a bit odd, but yeah, I think it seems very, very sideways. I still don't even fully like losing Pedro, but I think it's a, a lot easier. Yeah, to be yeah. totally there is honest. a path now to to, and you could even do it earlier. I mean, Luton's fixtures before that, um, you know, are pretty good as well. Not that you again, you won't play him, but it's a nice first sub. I mean, you don't have Archer, do you? Or you I've don't? Got, I've got Archer as well. This is the thing. Oh, you got two cheapo. It, it, I mean, your team is a little unique to others. Yes, uh, where... Yeah, mine's not. Yeah, best example. <laughs> yeah, so so other teams have like three forwards, mm-hmm. where they have Pedro as the third forward. Um, and for them, you can just do Morris now and just have a good first sub and potentially a cover for injuries if something comes up and then you play him in the double game week. I think that's absolutely fine as well. Yeah, no, I, I like that a lot. I do like that. And obviously, if you go from Pedro to him, you've still got the penalties, but you've got double the chance. At a, I mean, you've probably got more than double the chance at a penalty because you've got better minutes, admittedly, for, for a worse team. You need to get into the box to get a penalty. That's the problem. I mean, I'm looking at Luton and sure, the guy has got one pen already and he's got uh, one assist, I think, in the previous game as well. Mm-hmm. He's an okay player. And I think some people may even look at certain models and say, I think in certain models, his X points, points is already four. Haaland is 6.2. So when the double game, we gets added in. So I'm thinking of review, for example. He mm-hmm. will definitely be higher than review uh, than Haaland. Yeah, but I think it will be quite close. You sometimes get these double game week players where they, you know, it's a, an inverted commas bad player and they're by far the best captain option yeah. this week. I don't think he's going to be like a clear captain choice. It could be less than one point or yeah, even 0.5. We might even get nearer the time and we don't want to talk too much about goalkeepers, but it may well be going for a goalkeeper, possibly captaining them could could be a way to go. I mean, it it, it sounds crazy, but goalkeepers do do okay in in double game weeks. I remember Leno doing it last season, for example, to cherry pick. We have heard your goalkeeper stories, <laughs> yeah. yes. Um, I mean, would you look at a goalkeeper? Because obviously, I know some people are frustrated with Pickford, for example. No. No. I'm not getting a Luton goalkeeper. I mean, honestly, I think a lot of love is going to Luton, and I get it, because mm-hmm. they have the easier two games, because obviously Burnley have Newcastle. But the problem, what I believe is Burnley will beat Luton. So, in fact... If he wanted one upside game, 
it's the Burnley one playing Luton, which for me is the bigger upside game than Luton playing Burnley and Everton. Okay, but I do get the argument. Yeah. yeah, I agree with that. Even though Burnley away from home, Burnley look a lot more attacking. Yeah, exactly. I mean, even in the Spurs game, you, you saw they could score goals. And I mean, the whole of last season, um, Luton didn't score anywhere near as many goals as, as Burnley in the championship. And Exactly. Yeah. So I, if, if, I, if, if you forget about the fact that there are two easier-ish games on paper for Luton, and we think about who, what are the results that we expect in the two games, I suspect people might actually think that maybe the Burnley player. Um, but I don't know enough about Burnley attack. I mean, this is the problem being a content creator. We now have to think about Burnley attackers and Luton attackers to recommend uh, but off the cuff, I don't, I don't see much love, but for me personally. Well, that's why I think Morris is a nice one, just because we know he's ninety minutes and penalties, as as yeah. boring as and simple as that is. Um, but yeah, I guess we should go through go through the other team. Did you want to go through team by team? Um, um, well, I I just think if we're looking forward in terms of fixtures, there's certain interesting things that are coming up, which is there's a lot of love for Spurs, right? And they're lot. playing Sheffield United. And so the FOMO is real, where people are saying we have to go for a Spurs player. They're playing uh, Sheffield United this week. It could be anything. But then they play Arsenal away, Liverpool at home. And then they have another you know, couple of good fixtures, which is Luton and, and Fulham. So what's your view on just Spurs in general? What are you looking to do? I mean, they're the team I'm really torn on right now. And it reminds me a little bit of when we went without Salah for the Bournemouth game. As in, it was obviously a plum fixture, but then there was a couple of tougher games. And we, we've got that here. Mm. I guess if we assume that Son's on penalties, home to Sheffield United looks, looks incredible. But then Arsenal away and Liverpool at home. I, I don't know. It feels like one, you could get lucky just trying to avoid it. It doesn't take much for, you know, you a player to blank and you're like, oh, thank God I don't have that player. And then there's people sat with Son in their team like, oh, should I switch back to... Saka or Rashford or whoever they've sold so I don't think there's an urgency to jump on as tempting as it is and I guess there is that argument for captaincy a bit like there was for Salah in in game week two against Bournemouth as well yeah he is I think again in some models he's higher than Haaland um, so if you if you were bold enough not a big difference but if you were bold enough that is somewhere where you could go different but I'm not there yet. I mean, I'll see. I'm still debating whether I get Sun or not. And the options, I think I'll keep the Man United guys. But my option is maybe Saka to him. Because I think before my wildcard, I will be selling Saka for Sun anyway. At some point. The the plan was going to be that I would do it just before Saka plays Man City. But I could just sort of, pre, you know, do that transfer three game weeks before it was meant to happen. Um, that's where I'm sort of landing in terms of if I go Sun, that's that's the route I will take. I'd just hate losing that Saka against Everton. Everton, I know. I really hate know. that. And I'd be with you. I wouldn't want to lose the Man United players. Because, I mean, that run just looks more consistently good up to maybe up to until wildcard windows. But Correct. Correct. That's the plan. That's the plan. Okay. I mean, I don't think we need to go through every single team. Um, let's let's go through, you know, what we wanted to do. in, in So there's going to be two-part series, obviously, given the international mm-hmm. break. We were going to do in this one is just look back on the first four game weeks in terms of data, um, and there are some excellent charts by uh, FPL Wrangler, uh, which we wanted to showcase. So we'll just basically go through these four charts, which show what the data is telling us for the first four game weeks. And before we get there, I just wanted to shout out, of course, FPL underscore Wrangler, who's who's sort of prepared these, but he's part of a podcast called Under the Radar. 
So if you'd like to check that out and uh, the co-hosts are at Zidane's dad and FPL underscore Kante. So these are the three guys who sort of do uh, under the radar and I've, I've listened to a couple of episodes. They're good thinkers. And as you can see from the charts, they do good stuff. Yeah, honestly, you you sent me these and I thought they were incredible and they they really got me thinking um, about different stuff. So I think it's perfect international break content. Yeah. Um. So yeah, definitely go check them out. Um. Now, so the first one we've got on the screen, it's it's the teams. So it's in a in a quadrant, and then we've got for for people watching, there's good attack, good defense at the top right, bad attack, good defense top left. And then we've got bad attack, bad defense. So that's teams like Sheffield United, Luton, and then good attack, bad defense. So I think the ones that stood out for me were the ones actually in good attack, good defense. Well, there was a there was a couple of them. Like I mean, mm. Chelsea would be I think the obvious one. The fact that they're not just a good attack, they're a good defense. Admittedly, they've had quite easy fixtures. You know that's why we've we've piled in on them. But yeah, I thought that was interesting. And also just Liverpool because Liverpool, yeah, they had the Bournemouth game that was easy. The other three have been tricky. So while there is this regression from Liverpool being, and um, obviously it's a small sample, there's that reg- regression from Liverpool being, you know, an absolutely dominant team, and there's definitely been a drop off. They're still right up there. Like, I mean, better than Spurs, according to this, who've probably had, well, they definitely have better fixtures, Spurs. So yeah, could I use the takeaway that Liverpool are better than Tottenham still? Maybe not because it's a small sample, but because <laughs> I, I think a lot of people would now assume that Tottenham are better than Liverpool. Um, yeah, there's a little bit of an overreaction. And mm-hmm. we'll, when we come to the, the, the midfielders data, we'll see that actually, you know, Madison is slightly overperforming. But these are, again, four, four game week sample alert. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for example, the one that is an outlier already is Brentford. I mean, Brentford is not a better attack than Man City, Arsenal, Chelsea, no. Liverpool. Um, it's just that the fact that they've happened to have a lot of really, really big chances. So, you know, I can think of that in Bumo goal right in front of the goal, a couple of misses. So, they've ended up in a scenario with good fixtures that they are showing data that, that you know, has them right at the top. But I think, yeah, Chelsea is interesting. And I think Chelsea says to us that be patient because they still have good fixtures. And if in the next four, they can do what they did before and they are in the upper echelons of expected goals and low goals conceded, then you should get joy from Chilwell, Sterling, Jackson, Gusto, whoever you have in that combination. It could very well be that the, this drops off and in the next six, you see that Chelsea's down, you know, in bad attack, back defense. It could happen. Who never, You never know. But I think this tells me that you can be a little bit more patient. Um, I think this also tells me that Manchester United is a good attack. It's better here in terms of data than Liverpool, Spurs, Newcastle. But it's not a good defense. And I think a lot of people are seeing this uh, a, because of the injuries, but even before, I mean, even last season's data, they were seventh, sixth or seventh in terms of expected goals conceded. So it was never been an elite defense. I think De Gea did really well for the team at the back end of last year. So I think for in this case, it is telling us what we knew. In Brighton's case, again, look at this expected goals. They are right up there. In fact, their expected goals are better than Man City. But in expected goals conceded, again, we expected them to be Manchester United-ish in terms of defence, and that's what we're seeing. Yeah, and I guess it's worth saying actually as well that obviously it it looks like on here that Burnley and Luton have a better defence than Man United and Brighton, who you've just talked about, but obviously they've played a game less. So I suppose definitely bump Burnley and Luton down. And for those listening, they're still in bad attack, bad defence. So just to mention those, those double game week teams. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, if if we'd seen this chart four weeks ago, I'd have been very happy that we had James and Chilwell. But obviously, that's that, that's not materialised. And I, I do find stuff like this interesting because, and actually, we didn't mention Newcastle. They've obviously had a you know pretty tough run of fixtures. Admittedly, one game was against ten men um, of Liverpool, but they're still up there with you know good attack, good defence. You know, one one of the best defences in the league. Interestingly, still below below Palace, but that, maybe that's maybe that's the fixture thing. Mm. But yeah, yeah should I... we move on to specific defenders now? Let's do that. Yeah. So again, we've got a chart, and so anything below the line, they're underperforming, and anything above the line, they're overperforming based on the first four four game weeks, right? Yeah, exactly. From from what we have observed in terms of the data, so this isn't. So there's two types of expected points, right? When we sit here today, there are expected points for what these teams will do in game week five, six, seven, eight. This isn't that. This is expected points based on what happened in the game. So we all know there was a time when Chilwell was through on goal. He decided not to shoot. He mm -hmm. decided to pass. So in this case, it shows. I mean, actually, would that even be XG? I was just thinking that he probably didn't get XG for that. Yeah. Um, so no, he'd be over. If he'd missed that shot, he'd be underperforming even more, I'd even imagine. More. Exactly, exactly. So I guess that's the idea, that whatever they have done, this puts them on the map of what they should... But think of it like if it's a game where Man United versus Arsenal was Man United 3XG, Arsenal 4XG, it should have been 3-4, but in the end it was 3-2-2 Arsenal, so something like that. But for Chilwell to be on, what's that, 26 points after four games, I mean, that would be 6.5 points per game, which is, I mean, that's premium midfielder levels yeah yeah um, sorry Brad, i had to cough uh no uh it's fine so um i think both him and cash have put their hand up in terms of two players that have been insanely attacking almost in fact you can see here they're out of position which cash played a couple of games um but in general cash is an interesting one because at the beginning of the season for me he wasn't really an option because they were playing the consa carlos Pau Torres and Dean as the back four. But now that Diego Carlos is injured, they don't and Mings is injured, they actually don't have three central defenders anymore. Um, so Cash will have to play, but as a right back. So it's it's a negative that he will have to play as a right back, not a right winger, but it's a positive that he will actually play. Yeah, it's almost one of those annoying ones with Cash where if you did research and spoke to Villa fans, listened to Villa fans, you were kind of, you, well, you didn't go for him because there was good reason not to. And right. then obviously he's he's done this. Um, but yeah, they're the two standouts on this, Chilwell and Cash. The rest is very much of a muchness. I mean, the, the people who've overperformed, we were talking a little bit before, but the people who've overperformed are the players who've returned. The Correct. defenders who've returned. So a Doggy is what, the joint second highest overperformer behind Romero, who obviously scored that, that wonder goal. And Estepinian is yeah just behind them in fourth. What's interesting is the little red dots. The, the redder it is, the more chances they've created. So Estepinian, Trent, Dean and Robertson are the ones who've created the most. And Chilwell, yeah. And and of course, yeah, Chilwell. He's almost in his own orbit, so I, <laughs> my eye wasn't drawn to him. But yeah, yeah. Um, I guess Ruben Diaz, we talked about him a little bit, but he's... He he did miss a game. He did miss he did. a game. So I guess that, that skews it a bit like I mean, a bit like any Luton or, or Burnley player as well. Also the, the chance the goal they conceded against Fulham was basically in front of the goal. 
So that that yes. created their XG conceded as much higher than it should have been. So their XG conceded for City has just basically taken a hit from that game. Um, so, but anyway, I think your point is valid. Where if a defender scores or assists, he's overperforming because defenders don't create that much XGI. So in this case, I think what we can read from this is that if you have a Dogi, a Stupinian, don't get used to that attacking ret- level of returns every week. They're good choices. But it's not like they've become, you know, the trends of the world. I think the more realistic outcome is something at the level where Trent is at the moment, where you slightly overperform your expected points because you're so attacking. Um, and yeah, I think uh, I think these are all these are the attacking options that we have. And Romero, obviously, in the stratosphere because he's had a couple of goals that are worldies. It it would be interesting actually if we looked at this table again in like game week eight because I'm really interested in the Liverpool defenders because obviously you've got Trent right there next to Saliba I'd imagine Trent starts to join players like Chilwell and Cash once the fixtures become easier I mean maybe that's that's even beyond the next international break but hey it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels so whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City go Kevin or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Because there's not that many standouts here. They're all quite bunched together. So I, I think the midfielders and forwards are a, a little more interesting. But I think after game week nine, my prediction is Trent will swap with Chilwell. <laughs> because Chilwell's fixtures are really bad and Trent's are really good. Whether we can afford him in a team which has Salah, Watkins, and Son, and whatever, I don't know. But yeah, I think uh, I think that's that's fair. Yeah, I think that's going to become a deadline dilemma as we move towards like game week game week nine or so. Um, but I've moved us onto the midfielder slide because I think this one's I mean this one's fascinating. As in, we've got five realistic picks that we probably would have. I could see people actually starting with the five players with the highest expected points. So. Bumo, he's in his own stratosphere, a bit like Chilwell was. Then it's Salah, Bruno and Eze, and then Saka, followed by, well, Bowen. But yeah. I could see the, the top five. I could definitely see teams who started with those players in, in game week one. So this has gone as expected. Maybe they're more predictable than defenders. I mean, these guys are sort of uh, forwards, right? Mm. I mean, these are not, uh, you know, none of these guys are playing in even an Odegaard type, or I guess Bruno is. But, you know, Eze, Salah, Saka, Mbuma. The other thing is these are all penalty takers as well. So Eze has not got one, mm. but this includes penalties. So Saka has taken one, Salah's taken one and missed, but he did get it. Mbuma's taken a couple, Bruno's taken one. So Eze actually really stands out here as a really good pick that owners have been unlucky. And I'm actually quite happy that he's gone under the radar uh, using, obviously, their podcast name uh, for for some managers. He's dropped to 6.3. I think it's it's fantastic. Are you tempted to get him in, or do you just think there's just not going to be room because we're moving for Spurs players, maybe Liverpool Pro- down the line? Problem is, there's already two options that I see in the horizon that are better than him at various points. So, around game week eight, I think Diaby's a very good choice and Mbumo's a very good choice. After game week 10, I think Diaby continues to be a good choice and then Mitoma or March become really good choices because their fixture run after game week 10 is absolutely fantastic. So 
I think beyond that, if I look beyond that, if Mbumo has a blank in 18, then people could maybe, when they're getting off Diaby, they could look at Eze. So I like him, but I don't think I'll have him for the next 10 game weeks. I was just looking at, there's a comment in the chat, where there's a couple of comments in the chat, like shocked that Mbumo is, is underperforming. And that, that, is what the, that is what the chart says. It's true. Yeah. He's missed a couple of big chances. And again, we have to separate penalties from this discussion. Because, yes, he's got penalties, but outside penalties, he's actually underperforming, even his non-PenXGI numbers. It's just funny, because every time you get a penalty and score, which he's done, you overperform by, what, 0.21? 0.25. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah, 0.25. So then you're 0.5 overperforming because of the two penalties that he's had, and he's still underperforming. <laughs> I mean, people who don't own Umbumo don't like this sort of discussion, but look, I'd, I think what I would summarize is it's been... I would say it's lucky to get two pens. Nobody else has got two pens. I, I guess uh, City have. Um, or actually Arsenal have as well. So three teams have got two pens. But it's it's. I guess he's not been unlucky. Like in Bruno's case and Eze's case, he's been unlucky. They have been unlucky not to have more points. In Mbumo's case, I think we've had good points already and in expected points at the beginning of the season, we didn't expect him to be close to Haaland. I've seen people argue before, though, in previous seasons. Like, I remember Salah scoring two penalties in a game. There was that season where, um, game week one, everyone got penalties. Salah scored, I think, a hat-trick. Two of them were penalties. And there were people arguing that it's not lucky to get two in a game. So I would say, I mean, to have two in four games, it's not the craziest thing that's that's, that's ever happened in this game. I mean, so, Salah didn't get one till Christmas last year. But I yeah. guess what I'm saying is he, no, I get, he didn't get unlucky. No, I get what you're saying. I do get what you're saying. But it's just... It's, just, just maybe think of times where you know players have been a lot more lucky than in Bruno. Oh yeah, of course, of I just, course. I just think he just really stands out because of you know what other players have done. I guess. I mean, if people want to think about this, what they have to think about is how close to the goal were they when they scored. Look at Madison here, right? Madison took this worldy, really good shot. He was just outside the box, um, the one that he just scored. Who did they play? Fulham? No, uh, Burnley. Burnley, yeah. Um, and. From an XG perspective, that's a low, lowish XG shot. But actually, when Madison takes that shot, we all knew that's going in. The way he was shaping up to the ball, mm -hmm. the way the keeper was, I don't think he was perfectly positioned. And you know, this one is going in. Um, so you can argue that sometimes data doesn't capture ability and certain things like that. I mean, Sun is always overperforming pretty much if he's on fire because he does score a lot of good shots from outside the box. Um so yeah, I guess I guess that will always be the case. But it's true that March, Sun, Madison, at least on underlying databases, have done little better than they should have. I think that will always be always be the argument for Son and Madison that they can overperform their XG because of this, because of that. And I think they're they're valid arguments. I've always found Madison a very hard player when he was at Leicester to to know if he's good or not. I mean, clear, clearly he is good. But to know if he's, you know, a good FPL asset, because he's been very, very streaky. Mm. He's not always got the best XG, but he does go through these spurts where, you know, he, he gets points. So, yeah, I, I find those, that, I feel like sometimes they're a blind spot, players like Son or Madison for me, because they're not, they don't always directly correlate with, you know, XG. Like the players like Salah mm. or Saka, for example, tend to anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, typically Salah would be... Salah does overperform his XG a lot. Uh, I mean, apart from last season, he's been doing it a lot consistently. So it's actually surprising to see him down here. 
he puts um, up monster numbers all the time. And, he does, I mean, as does. as this shows, whereas I don't feel like someone like Madison does put up monster. I mean, he has been this season, to be fair to him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's move on to the the next slide. So this is this is forwards. So again, we've got a runaway leader. Um, I mean, I guess people not watching probably could guess who that is. <laughs> but it's actually scary. So Harland, that looks like about thirty-seven points he's been projected over the over the four games. The next biggest projected player is actually Edouard, just ahead of ahead of Watkins and and Jackson. So who stands sure. out for you here? Well, I think uh, in this case, similar to the Chelsea discussion, Jackson has been unlucky. And mm -hmm. that's clear to the eye as well, because he's missed, obviously, that massive, massive chance against Nottingham Forest, which was the sterling assist. But even in the games before, in the first two game weeks, he's created decent amount of chances. And again, any logic that goes beyond, oh, he's raw or he's from not from this league or Chelsea's attack hasn't clicked or Chelsea has never produced a number nine. Any basic logic of looking at data, looking at the guy would say, Jackson is going to score in the next couple of game weeks or three game weeks. So be patient with the guy if you hold him. Um, I think João Pedro is another one where I think he one of them is that massive chance that he missed in the first game. But even in the in the, in the most recent game, there were some comments by Deserbi that you know he's getting some chances, but he'd like him to get even more. Mm -hmm. I think if he gets minutes again, that's a guy who you expect to do better over time. And then lastly, Watkins here as the underperformer. He hasn't scored in the Premier League yet, which is very surprising. But he should have. Yeah, they're the three. I think they were the three that were popular as people's second striker as well in game week one. Well, well particularly Watkins and Pedro. Then a lot of people went to Jackson. And I mean, it's quite telling on this that they're the, they're, along with Kunda, they're the three biggest underperformers on this. The only thing that I guess did surprise me a little bit is that Jackson, for example, in my mind, because he would be expected to score a little more because we've got this massive gap to Haaland and then you've got like Watkins, Jackson, Edward, Solanke, Visser, all within, you know, two points of each other. And I really did think before seeing this that Jackson would have been a little bit further ahead. Yeah. As in, he's been unlucky, but really he's only expected to score the same as, well, Watkins or Edward. Yeah, it's fair. I, I don't think, I think that shows in the fact that, you know, if you watch the match against Nottingham Forest, Chelsea had a few moments, but it's not like they were banging down the door. Um, and that's just, it's, it is an attack that is developing. They, they're they having to play Chilwell as left winger. Um, they're not creating that many chances. So I agree with you. A team that's just played Luton at home and Nottingham Forest at home should be way higher in terms of expected points. He should have either scored or missed a couple more and been a little bit further away from Watkins. Like people made the Watkins to Jackson move. This says that you didn't actually need to do that. No, the, I guess the only benefit was freeing up a little bit of money. I imagine at the time we would have freed up about a million. So I guess yeah, that's the, that's the only benefit there. But then you've used the transfer. Um, I guess we need to talk about Morris very briefly again. Of he's, course we do. And obviously, again, he's had a game less than everyone else, but he has had a penalty. So he's bang on where, I mean, he's slightly overperforming ever so slightly. With uh, He's projected about 14 points, but that's 14 points over three games. Which I mean is level projected with with Darwin, for example. Is it? I think yeah. it's interesting. I, th I think I'm going to be very tempted, but that's mainly because of who I, who I've got. Um, I don't think he's. An, if there wasn't a double, I probably wouldn't be that tempted. But also, he's oh, cheap. Five point yeah. five million. 
I think he's okay as an as an eighth attacker or a seventh attacker in a four five one. So you don't have to play him every week. I think he's fine. And again, we're repeating the discussion. But if you have the luxury of using a transfer on him, then fair. But I personally don't think I will get there unless there's an injury or some desperation to get Jackson out of my team. Um, I I personally won't get there. But yeah, he's a decent pick. All forwards who play 90 minutes and are on pens are good picks. And if Archer is on pens, he will start to show up as well. Obviously, he's only played the one game and he scored some 12 points or 13 points. So he's showing up as a massive overperformer. Fair enough. But over time, I think you'll see him sort of match Morris's numbers roughly or track if he's on penalties as well and I know you've been doing on Twitter you've been doing your quizzes where I think one of them the answer was Solanke or it got me I think so anyway he, Solanke played every minute he's the only striker every single played, minute and, every... and as so has Morris but he's obviously played a game less of course of course so I look at Solanke on this and I kind of see that as the the benchmark for the 90 minute on penalties yeah and it's interesting really when you see how high up he is it just shows how important that is and that, again he's not had a penalty I don't think they've had a penalty since they joined the Premier League um. yeah, yeah. I mean although I go back to Luton tax mm-hmm. I mean they're not Bournemouth is a much more attacking team I mean they're pressing very aggressively as we expected under their new manager so Solanke was a great pick last year even though they were not a great team I think this year he could be an even better pick if the opportunity arises I don't see it in the near term for Morris to reach Solanke, I mean, I, I, I'm going to hold my judgment for the moment. Yeah, no, understood, understood. It was, yeah, it's just more that I see that as the the part. I mean, when you look at Solanke, you look then you look at Alvarez, who again your quiz surprised me that Alvarez has only missed a few minutes this season. One minute. One minute, and he's overperformed. Yeah. And actually, based on data, despite taking all the set or a lot of set pieces for City, he's actually projected to get less points than Solanke. Obviously, that's not come to fruition, and maybe there's overperforming because it's Man City yeah. and, and not Bournemouth. So there's probably some other bits to take into account there. But yeah, I just find it interesting. And there's not Correct. many strikers we can talk about. Well, I, I think there's. Let's let's talk about a few that are performing but not in our team. So mm-hmm. firstly, Darwin. I mean, he's a game breaker in many ways if he becomes nailed. But the question is, during Champions League or Europa League, what is nailed, right? So th- he does feel like a player. We're just gonna have to keep waiting, waiting, waiting. And, uh, like as in, I don't know when a good time is gonna be to to bring him in. He, I mean, he is cheap, but he's, but so so many other strikers are cheap that it could. His competition be, is very different. Yeah, yeah, it could be tricky to get him in. So, and I think if he does become obviously nailed, I think everyone's just gonna go there anyway. So then you're not getting a huge edge over the field by going to Darwin when it looks safe. Yeah, and I agreed. do wonder if it's actually worth the risk because he, even when he starts, he gets subbed early, which, which yep. does reduce his ceiling. Even though his ceiling is, inc- like w- one of the biggest in the game potentially. I mean, he's competing with players with good fixtures who play ninety minutes. Some of them are on pens, so I think I think we wait. But but if he keeps starting, I think on game week eight, nine, ten wild card or people who want to avoid a wild card just say I don't want Salah. I'll just go Darwin and punt on that. Um, so I think he could become an option if he if he continues the minutes or if there's an injury for whatever reason. Uh, but let's talk about Awini. What do you think about him? He's been one that's been tempting me because I know Elevenify. He was during preseason last year. He was really bigging him up because of his underlying data um, before he joined the Premier League. 
So it's actually surprised me that he's actually overperforming mm. his XG. It's not actually that impressive. As in, he yeah, he's he's overperforming. He's not on penalties, but he seems to be getting well. He is getting returns each and every week. So he he's interesting. But then I, I and I was thinking about him, but then I compare him to like a a Solanke or well now because of the double a Morris. I don't feel like there's a huge gap between them. Not to be offensive to a one you, but they've got things that he do- doesn't, which is better minutes. And again, I, t- I talk about penalties too much, but it seems to be one of the most important things in this game this season. Yeah, it's important. And I think if you look at Forest again, four, four game week sample size, mm-hmm. Forest have shown that they've improved defensively, but attacking wise, they're still not there. So, and they've also lost, obviously, Johnson. So he's a decent pick. And I'm actually particularly looking at Aouni, um in game week nine when he plays Luton oh, as somebody who I... So basically, I moved from Jackson to Aouni before wildcarding, but more on that later. No, that's clever. Um, I like that. Because I was, I was just... when you were Just before you were saying that, I was trying to look at a window of when we could go for him. Because obviously, they got Burnley this week, so you're like, yes, this could be it. But then it's City away, the hardest fixture City. there is. Exactly. A bit like Bowen, right? Um, so yeah, I think there could be a time where, where you look at him, but yeah, I think, I don't think he's a long-term option despite what he's been doing. I think there are reasons why we're not sort of recommending Awanivi as strongly as you can see from the data here. A couple of others quickly before we stop, um, Alvarez massively overperforming in a city team that are, where he's getting minutes that are a good XG team, but he is overperforming. And I think people who own him over Foden or vice versa, there's been a skew, skewed luck towards people. You know, Alvarez has delivered a lot more points than he should have and Foden has delivered a lot fewer. It, it surprises me he's overperforming. It, re- it really does because when you think he's getting the minutes, he's taking the set pieces and he's playing in that City team. I, I would have thought that would have been around about right how many points he's got so far as in like, like what is it, 28 points? 26, 27, yeah. Yeah, but... Yeah, that that's interesting, and maybe over over time that will change. Um, and obviously, I guess his stats are going to be different when Haaland's not in the team. I, I think oh, of course. Will, then yeah. you expect him to be top right. Yeah. So the, I guess there's two types of Alvarez, and this is the Alvarez when Haaland's when Haaland's playing. Correct. Correct. And then Ferguson and Wissa, uh, and actually Edward. Those three are overperforming, but you know, good numbers. Those are close to Watkins and Jackson in terms of. Um, expected points, so all three interesting, right? If they're if they get minutes, I mean, Wissa has, Edward semi has, and Ferguson. We're not sure yet. It's the minutes with all three of them that that would worry me. I mean, obviously, after Ferguson scored a hat trick, you're probably going to be a bit more confident. Surely, deserve is going to give him a bit more time. But now he's pulled out of the Island squad, injured. Whether yeah, that's an me, international me break injury, I, I, I don't know. It's important. It's the qualifiers. Yeah, and it was actually the Irish doctors who sent him home. It wasn't that Correct. he didn't travel. So, yeah, I agree. It does seem maybe it isn't just a international break injury. You know the Udogi one? is like he's ill. Under-21s, though, yeah. Under-21s. You know that he's just, you know, it's an international break. I don't think the Ferguson one is. Of course, it could be minor, but I don't think that one. I mean, the kid would want to play for qualifiers. And then this then loops us back to the yo-yo in Yao Pedro conversation where his stock just seems every day there seems to be another quote or another thing happening um, where it's hard to know what his value is. Exactly. Well, he could play up top as well, right? You could, could play Lallana yeah. behind him. Yeah, he could He could play both. And like we said, he's un- underperforming. So 
but yeah, I feel like we go around in circles every every time we do one of these. I'm as the Yao Pedro owner. One week I'm excited, the next week I'm I need to get rid of him. <laughs> That's why I am slightly jealous of the Jackson owners, even though he's underperformed. Um, well, even more than Pedro. Um, I, I, yeah, I I am kind of envious of that headache every week because I I think it's quite simple. You just play him as a Jackson yeah. owner. Yeah, agreed. But yeah, um, but yeah, thanks to Under the Radar for those because that honestly. It, prompted some good conversations it really did get me thinking as i was looking looking at these over the last couple of days as well um, indeed indeed is there anything else before we go praz uh no i mean we'll be back next week um to look forward to the game week but yeah we just wanted to do a quick one on 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 data and i and i just want to emphasize again this is just four game weeks we could be completely wrong on a lot of stuff um and we could see new trends with a lot of it i mean maybe brentford is better than city of course i'm kidding but that's the problem that four game weeks can tell us something drastically different from what we see in the next four game weeks so we'll continue to monitor yeah i think that's the thing i think it's interesting to take a step back just look at the raw data we've got so far and then yeah during the next international break or during one of the episodes we can always look at it again um so yeah so thanks to those guys for that my room has not hit 30 degrees but i'm on 29.7 um, so I might go and have a lie down now, but yeah, we'll be back next week at, at nine o'clock. And I think, I, I assume we're going to be talking a little bit about Spurs. That would be a, not a very bold predi- prediction. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, Praz. Well, I'll see All you right. next week. Get well soon, man. I will do.